everyone, welcome to episode 47 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So we've had a couple of weeks off. Uh, the team was in Paris for an engineering sprint with all the other engineering teams at Canonical. And uh, myself and Joe, we also took the following week off separately uh, for vacation. Uh, but yeah, we'll have a bit of a chat about that uh, later in the episode with Joe. So uh, let's just dive straight into the usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes for the past few weeks. There's quite a few to get through, so I'll try to be uh, brief as I can on some of these. Uh, so the first one I want to look at is Memcached. Uh, there was one CVE here that affected Xenial, Bionic and Disco. This was a possible stack buffer overread if it was using Unix sockets. Uh, in this case, it would copy the address of the Unix socket using Struen copy, uh, which copies up until a trailing null, uh, but that could possibly read past the end of the source buffer. Now, you may be wondering how it does that because it should be looking up until only a trailing null on the source buffer, uh, but it does it because it, uh, in an optimized read, doesn't read one byte at a time, but might actually read a few bytes at a time, say, as an integer, like four bytes. And uh, this would uh, be undefined behavior if you're reading past the, off the, past the end of the string. And this vulnerability was actually found uh, using address sanitizer in Clang. Uh, and so this would be a possible crash and denial of service as a result. Uh, and this was fixed to explicitly call uh, string copy with the smallest length of both the source and the destination buffers rather than just the size of the destination buffer, which yeah should be safe, uh, but given the way that Sturin copy is implemented and optimizations, yeah, this was an issue. So that was fixed. We've got an update for free type, uh, one CVE that was fixed for uh, precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, and Xenial. And then a couple other CVEs only affected uh, just the extended security maintenance releases, both precise and trusty there. Uh, all of these were various heap-based buffer overeats. So these would result in your usual crash and denial of service. Uh, so they've all been fixed. <coughs> got an update for Python. Eight different CVEs for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. So four of these were in URL lib. Uh, this would uh, allow to easily open files from the local file system using uh, local file as a prefix for the uh, URI type. Uh, it would also potentially uh, have a couple of different uh, line feed and uh, carriage return injection issues that were fixed. Uh, could also, a specially crafted URL could cause URL lib to send cookies and authentication data for the wrong host. Uh, and this was originally fixed incorrectly upstream. So it got a second CVE assigned for that one as well. So they've all been fixed. There was also uh, an issue with the HTTP cookie jar module, uh, which wouldn't validate URLs correctly. And so could end up sending cookies uh, for a separate domain to you know an attacker controlled domain. There was a possible null pointer to your reference when parsing X509 certificates if it had an empty certificate revocation list uh, distribution point or URI. And also a possible integer overflow when serializing uh, tens of hundreds of gigabytes of data via the Python pickle format. So if you have uh, Python pickle structures that are extremely large and you were serializing those, uh, it could result in memory exhaustion and uh, yeah, possible crash. So they've all been fixed for Python. Next up is an update for Tomcat. Uh, this was fixed for both uh, Tomcat 8 in Xenial and Bionic and Tomcat 9 in Bionic and Disco, three different CVEs for both. Uh, the first was a HTTP2 related uh, issue. So an HTTP2 server would accept streams with an excessive number of settings frames from a client and then would permit clients to keep those streams open without having to actually read or write anything. 
as you can imagine, this could lead to a denial of service on that server side. Uh, threads would block that kind of thing and be left open, you know, because a client can just sit there and do nothing and consume those resources. The original fix for this was incomplete, so that actually got a second CVE uh, for that incomplete fix. So they've both been fixed. And we've also fixed uh, possible cross-site scripting injection if using uh, the SSI printend command because this would echo uh, provided user data without escaping it. Uh, it should be noted though that this uh, printend command is intended for debugging only so it shouldn't actually be used in a production website hopefully. Uh, but if you happen to be using that in a production website that's also been fixed as well uh, to prevent any possible XSS cross-site scripting injection there. We've got a notice of a regression in systemd. So back in episode 46, I talked about a systemd update that we did. Uh, this was for uh, systemd resolve D not providing adequate access control on its DBus interface. Uh, the update there uh, was done using a pending stable release update that was in uh, the proposed pocket. Uh, but this contained a regression in networking, and I guess that's probably why it was still in proposed. Uh, hadn't been officially validated, and so we re-released the security fix, but without including that SIU update. Next up, we've got a Linux kernel regression to report on as well, unfortunately. So this affects uh, the Bionic kernel, uh, used obviously in Bionic, and also the hardware enablement kernel for Xenial. Back in episode 46, again, I talked about uh, this kernel update, if you want to know more about it, but the regression was basically that it could possibly crash if handling uh, fragmented packets uh, fragmented in a certain way. So that's also been fixed. We've got an update for curl. So one CVE that was fixed for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Uh, this was a heap-based buffer overflow in uh, the TFTP protocol handler. And we also had an extra CVE that was fixed for just Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. It uh, doesn't apply to the older extended security maintenance releases because the version of curl there doesn't support this functionality, which was uh, in the FTP Kerberos uh, code, there was a double free that could possibly be triggered. So that's also been fixed. We've got an update for WebKit GTK. Uh, there were 16 different CVEs here that were fixed uh, for both Bionic and Disco. What we've done here is update to the latest WebKit GTK upstream release as we do for uh, security fixes for WebKit GTK. Uh, the developers there don't usually release many details on what the CVEs actually are, so I don't have much to report on there. But uh, yeah, you can be, uh, be rest, rest assured that 16 different CVEs were fixed. Uh, similarly, we've got an update for VLC, 11 different CVEs that were addressed for Bionic and Disco by updating to the latest VLC upstream release, which is 3.0.8. Uh, similarly, we updated Wireshark uh, for two CVEs. Uh, that's been updated to the latest upstream release, 2.6.10. Uh, we've got an update for XPAT, the XML parser. So one CVE fixed for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. So basically all the supported releases. In this case, crafted XML could fool the parser to switch uh, to its style of parsing where it's parsing the document too early whilst uh, it was still parsing the uh, document type descriptor at the top. And you could then get a heap-based buffer overread when looking up the current line and column number because uh, the parser structure was incomplete. So uh, this would be a possible crash and denial of service. Uh, we've got an up we had an update for IBUS. One CVE uh, that was fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. This was where it failed to apply proper access control to its DBus server socket. And so it could allow another local user to connect uh, to your logged in local user's IBUS socket and you know, do keystroke uh, in injection or snoop on keystrokes, that kind of thing. 
the problem was uh, that the attacker would need to know the IBUS socket address, which is randomized and not easily discoverable. However, this update did cause a regression. Uh, the fix, unfortunately, uh, meant that IBUS was no longer usable for uh, QT users. Uh, this is still being investigated upstream. There is no uh, proper official fix for this regression. So what we've done is reverted uh, the security update and we will update it uh, in, in complete. We'll do a complete update for that once uh, the regression has been fixed as well. Uh, a few more to go through. We've got an update for Exim. Uh, back in episode 46, I talked about a high profile uh, possible remote root exploit for Exim. So we've rolled out that release as well, or that fix as well, should I say, for Exim in trusty extended security maintenance. Uh, we've got notice, unfortunately, of a regression in the Apache web server. So this affected Xenil, Bionic, and Disco. Back in episode 45, I talked about an update for Apache to address a range of different HTTP2 denial of service issues. Uh, this update unfortunately caused a regression when proxying balance manager connections. And so this was fixed by incorporating some missing upstream patches from the original update. We've got an update for the Linux kernel. So one of these was quite high profile. Uh, three different CVEs though that were fixed for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Uh, so to say the high profile one was a possible host privilege escalation from a libvirt guest. Uh, the guest user in libvirt needed to be privileged. So you needed to have say root privileges within a guest, but it could then allow to say root privilege escalation on the host. So that was fixed. Plus two different uh, related information disclosures on the PowerPC platform. So a local user might possibly be able to read vector registers of other users processes, either during an interrupt or via a uh, facility unavailable exception. So if they could trigger uh, the right interrupt at the right time or uh, this exception, they may then be able to read the state of other vector registers uh, of other users vector registers. Uh, we then released a live patch for that same high profile uh, libvirt uh, escape as well. Uh, so if you are running Xenial or Bionic, you would have been uh, protected against that without having to reboot your, uh, your machine. So that's great. Uh, we had an update for WPA Supplicant and Host APD. So one CVE here for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Uh, this is a case where an attacker in radio range would be able to cause uh, a station to disconnect from uh, the access point using a specially crafted management frame. The problem was that it... Uh, a WPA supplicant would not properly validate the source address of the frame and so you could spoof it or you could uh, put an all zero address there and it would then think that that had come from the access point and cause your station to disconnect. So that's been fixed uh, to prevent that denial of service. Uh, last up, just a few more quick ones. We've got an update for uh, Mosquito in Disco. Uh, there was a stack overflow there. If a malicious client sent a subscribe uh, topic with a topic of uh, greater than six, about 65k uh, forward slash characters, uh, there's also an update for LibreOffice. Uh, back in episode 44, I mentioned that uh, there was the ability to bypass protections that were put in place that were added to try and stop inclusion of code uh, from the local file system when executing various macros. Uh, that was done using uh, tr trying to use different URL encoding techniques and a new version of how to escape that had been found. So that's also been fixed. We had an update for File Roller, uh, one CVE in Xenio and Bionic. This was uh, the case of a path reversal outside of the current working directory to the parent. Uh, so you could extract an archive and overwrite files outside of the current working directory. Uh, we've got an update for Firefox. This updates to the latest upstream release for Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Uh, that is version 69.0.1. 
and the problem was that uh, the pointer lock was able to be enabled without any notification to the user. So a malicious website could potentially then you know, lock the pointer and hijack the mouse cursor and confuse the user as a result. And finally, uh, we had to scramble over the weekend for a, uh, a quick update for XM. Uh, this was only for uh, the Disco release because it didn't affect older versions of XM, but uh, Mark Delore on the team, uh, thanks Mark for doing this over the weekend, uh, got this out. So there was a heap-based buffer overflow that was announced uh, that could possibly allow remote code execution. Uh, this is in code paths where XM has dropped privileges, so it's not necessarily a remote root uh, code execution path, but uh, there were other possible code paths where that function could have been reached as well. So yeah, that's been uh, fixed now for XM in Disco. And that's it for this week's roundup of uh, vulnerabilities and fixes. Yeah, because we're going through the last few weeks, so there's quite a few to get through there. So thanks everyone for sitting through all of that. Next up, I've got a chat that Joe and I had about uh, the recent sprint in Paris and also about uh, an article that Joe had published in the admin magazine. Hey Joe, so we're back after a few weeks off and uh, in particular, we were all in Paris for the engineering sprint. Yeah, we were. One thing that's cool, we are a fully remote team in an almost fully remote company. So we are distributed around the world and we use a bunch of tools like IRC and Google Hangouts and shared docs, et cetera, et cetera, to keep in touch. But we do meet twice a year as an engineering group just to get that face-to-face -face time and help I know, break down those walls that sort of get built up over time with being remote. And so while we're there, we discuss um, a bunch of things like improving our processes and procedures, maybe updating since the last time um, we worked on them or sometimes even when we developed them in the past you know we've been around for a while so we started things doing it this way but you do miss a lot if you always do it the same way so we do make changes and we're always willing to modify um which again is one of the great things about our team we're not stuck in that we do it this way because we always did it this way um can't we that's not how we are um and then we do other things like uh, we may do some cross training uh with the whole team just because of how big we are now um, and then, uh, we also plan, um, the features we want to see in the next version of Ubuntu. So we do a bunch of, Hey, you know, what's practical, what's, um, what's a good to have, what's a have to have. And then sort of that pie in the sky thing that we could do. Um, obviously we were trying to prevent, you know, Terminator and Skynet. So that's a must to have, not, not. Nice to have. Um, and then we do one thing that um, I, uh, as, as, as the head of security, make everyone do, even though I don't think they want to. We do team building exercises, which are just fun, stupid, you know, things to make sure that we're all, we're all in a laid back atmosphere where we can be free to brainstorm ideas and get the best results as a team. Um, yeah, I think some of the team building stuff, uh, I know there were some collective groans around the room when you mentioned <laughs> those, Joe, but uh, that stuff is really important. As you say, we are a generally quite um, a time zone diverse uh, distributed group and you know, communicating through IRC uh, can in particular lack a lot of um, nuance and you know, really gets necessarily know people really well through that. And so the team building stuff really does help break down some of those barriers and just make everyone feel comfortable uh, as you said brainstorming and discussing and you know not sure to shy away from their ideas and, and that kind of thing so i thought that was really cool yeah and you know although i say we had one problem with it which is the first time we did it 
I did two truths and a lie. And one of our uh, people, um, Leo, lied that his lie was that um, he was a uh, hip hop dancer. And I just got it stuck in my head that that was his truth. And I found that other people remembered that too. I, I, I kept, you know, I think a few of us have made references to it. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, he's like, no, that was my lie. So anyhow, you got to yeah. remember, two truths and a lie can be dangerous. <laughs> no, uh, um, yeah, I, as far as I'm concerned, Leo is a hip hop dancer. Yeah, and exactly. I think at the next sprint, we'll have to get him to give us a demo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I anyway. think we could all do the robot. Um, other things we do there is it's not just a security team meeting. Um, one thing that's awesome that Canonical does is we bring the entire engineering group together. So, you know, people who may be working on um, OpenStack or Kubernetes or even just like low level things like our installer, we can all talk about um, security together. We can talk about uh, the planning, the implementation. One thing that I think is great that Canonical does is we've built security in from the beginning. We're not bolting things on later. And part of that is the fact that we are at not only these engineering um, on-sites that we have twice a year, but we're also at four other meetings a year where we are in, I'll say, for lack of a better term, <laughs> management planning meetings. So we make sure that security concerns are, are, are addressed early on in the development cycle of everything we make. And the whole team doesn't go to those. Um, just lucky people like Alex and I go to those. Yep. It's good fun. <laughs> you can see that he's smiling ridiculously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I digress. Um, so, yeah, we just got back from that. We've got a, uh, I think I'll say we are sort of energized and revitalized. Um, Alex and I also took last week off separately, but uh, that's why there was no podcast recording last week. Um, we, although we did drastically different things. I think you were touring cool European towns and I was out climbing mountains. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I hung around in Paris for a week. It was cool. Yeah. And that's awesome. But, uh, so this week, we thought that we would uh, have a look into some recent stuff that you published separately, Joe, uh, in Admin Magazine. Yeah, this is just something that I have been, I don't know, working on and thinking about for a long time. Um, when I was in, in grad school, the last class I took, the last semester, was a class um, called, uh, uh, it was in the Human Computer Interaction Institute, and um, it was called Applied Sensors and, Ga Sensors and Gadgets, which is kind of a silly name, but it was an awesome course about sort of making you think about security or just human computer interaction from not just the keyboard and screen. And so ever since then, I've sort of been thinking about this topic of how do we get people to think about security beyond just that dashboard of their SIM or their IDS? Um, and so a few years back when I was um, uh, director of security at a startup, I, I built this device and put it in our data center. And, um, and I've re refined it since then. And uh, uh, the idea being um, you, get, you get sort of numb to all these alerts. Uh, you know, the classic example, I think um, when Neiman Marcus was hacked, they ignored 60,000 alerts. Um, and that's just because we're getting too much information. It's sort of this overload. In the healthcare industry, uh, there is a term they use, which is called alert fatigue. Um, and it's blamed for um, ignoring like drug incompatibilities and even ignoring like alerts when they're going off in people's rooms and actual um, uh, real, real life uh, emergencies. And so 
I think that does fall into our field. You know, you ignore enough alerts in your SIM and your logs, et cetera. I think we've all been there, right? The, the first time you set up Snort or you set up your SIM, you're looking at it like every day, like it's part of what you do. After a few weeks, you look at it less and less. And then it's just sort of like running in the, in, the, in the dark recesses of your data center and you occasionally look at it when you're trying to troubleshoot something, right? So this is something I wanted to do to break that. So how do we alert in the real world? So um, I've had some different iterations. The, the one in this article, which is called um, uh, Build a Honeypot with Real World Alerts um, in Admin Magazine, issue 52, um, I used just a um, red emergency light like you'd put on like the top of an old-timey police car. Um, in the past, I've hooked it up to That's a... Awesome. Um, <laughs> in the past, I hooked it up to a, um, a jack-in-the-box um, and took the jack-in-the-box out and put a Godzilla head in there, and it would raise up and, um, and light up red as you were getting um, more alerts. But <laughs> unfortunately, I couldn't buy the parts in time to make the article because I had since, long since thrown that out and some leaving a job or moving somewhere. So, um, yep. so this one uses that light. Um, so you buy a Raspberry Pi, and uh, get a pie hat that will be a relay hat because um, this light that I found uh, is, you know, wall voltage, which is, you know, mains power, which is actually dangerous. Yep. So you want to use a relay because the pins on a um, Raspberry Pi, are they five? Are they five volt, 30, milli, 30 milliamp or three volt? I don't know, they're low power. They don't have enough power to actually do much beyond sort of light an LED. So that's why you want yeah, to relay. The GPIOs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. 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 So, um, so you get this relay board. I bought this one off Amazon. It was probably like eleven dollars or something. Um, that's got beefy relays. They're like, I think, one hundred to two hundred and thirty volt. Um, and hook cool. up your um, hook up. You know, just cut your um, cut your uh, your your siren, your alert, uh, your your blinking light. Cut the wires. Um, just one wire. Probably your positive run it into your um, relay and screw it down. Now these are, once again, mains voltage. So I would really recommend that you get, um, since it's stranded copper wire that you're gonna cut and strip the ends off of, that grab your soldering iron and just tin the ends of the wire so you don't get frays because you wouldn't want it to bridge and start, or like hit the, yeah. one of the screws on the on the GPIO board, I'm sorry, on the hat, start sparking, I don't know. So do that, screw it in and you're good. Um, and then what this does, as an example, this is a honeypot. So throw it out in front of your um, firewall or put it in your DMZ or something. And uh, w what I did was I modified IP tables to um, send messages to, uh, to, the, to syslog and, uh, when, you, when you hit a closed port. And then I ran a, um, and I also did with auth.log, I made sure that syslog, I'm sorry, failed SSH logins would, um, would log as well, and then I because it's going to be a honeypot. I turned off um, I turned off passwordless uh, passwords for SSH requiring keys, and um, also I used a separate key because you would assume it is a honeypot. It might get it might get compromised, so oh, you know you don't want to throw any keys away, etc. So I used separate keys on it, um, and then uh, I used a I just wrote some quick Python that mon that tailed the log for lack of a better term, and if it saw more than um, I think five. Uh, it was three failed logins um, in a in like a sixty second time period from the same IP. It would um, it would throw that over um, MQTT to another listening process, um, and that would listen to it and store it in a database. And then um, if it had those three, the listener would um, would make would would make the uh, uh, 
the siren go off, the alert go off in the real world. So you notice in your data center you are under attack. Or you can stick it on your admin's desk, something like that. Just so other people who maybe aren't in your security group or your IT group would see, hey, something's happening, right? Um, yep. And, and it also uh, have, I have a, I just threw a quick um, Flask web front end. So it will um, plot uh, using GeoIP where the attacks are coming from. Because it's always kind of fun to see where that see where that's coming from, and I, I used MQTT so it could be modular. So you could put your your um, honeypot out in your DMZ or out in front of the, the firewall, but send the data back to your monitoring device behind the firewall. And also because MQTT is fun, <laughs> and so um, so yeah, so it's really simple to set up. You can do it on a single Raspberry Pi and just get more people interested in what's going on in your data center that what's really happening with security. I mean, there's much more you could do than just look at um, uh, somebody end mapping you or failed SSH logins, but it is um, it does get people interested and it's a good starting point. And since you're just using MQTT, you could add other alerts onto it. It's cool, Joe. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, really approachable as an article for uh, a lot of different audiences. Uh, clearly the tie-in with real world um, you know, effects is awesome. You know, flashing lights and you know yeah. sirens and that kind of thing. If you know, you could tie it into as well. Uh, and the chance to hack with some uh, you know cool stuff like Raspberry Pis. It makes a really good article. I think it's cool. But yeah, and you know, I think it's well, thank you. And as software people, I think it's fun to play with hardware occasionally. Like, you can make a bunch of cool software, but sometimes when you're like, I made something move across the table. You know, that's that's just kind of a fun thing. Um, yeah, you're like, you know, I made something happen. Uh, and yeah, all the code's up on GitHub. That's GPL'd. Um, it's uh, GitHub, Joe McManus, Honeybot. Um, and uh, you can follow the links in that article if you uh, if you go to um, Admin Magazine. Yep. So, yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. So that'll be cool. Oh, cool. Um, well, thanks for listening this week, everybody. Thanks for uh, dealing with our, our little break there while we went to Paris and, and made Ubuntu better. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk again next week. Bye, everybody. So thanks again for that, uh, Joe. So something I just wanted to quickly announce was that, uh, as you'd be aware, at the end of this podcast, I discussed various ways that you can get in contact with the Ubuntu security team. And we've decided to add yet one more. So we've had multiple people ask us about uh, kind of an easy place to discuss various security topics or potentially security features for Ubuntu, that kind of thing. And in the past, we've used uh, the Ubuntu Harden mailing list, or we've got the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network, but uh, these aren't always as user-friendly as other uh, means might be. And in particular, there is a general Ubuntu discourse instance at discourse.ubuntu.com that is used by the desktop team and the server team and other teams in Ubuntu to uh, do community discussions and that kind of thing. And so we thought it would be a great place uh, to start some more uh, security-related discussions for Ubuntu as well. So we've created then a new security topic on the uh, discourse.ubuntu.com that can be used for any kind of uh, discussions that we want to have around Ubuntu and security. And unlike the IRC channel, uh, there will be a bit more persistent history for this. And, you know, it's a bit more of a user-friendly thing than mailing list because it has, say, a web interface that people can use without having to do mail. But you can use it uh, through, um, through mail if you want. You, know, you can create topics by posting to a particular email address and you can sign up to make sure that all updates are received via email and you can then reply to things via email and all of that. So if you want to keep an email uh, workflow that can all be done as well with discourse too. But the existing uh, channels aren't going away. There will still be the Ubuntu Harden mailing list and there'll still be the Ubuntu Hardened IRC channel that we will participate in as well. 
So yeah, just wanted to announce that here publicly uh, because that just went up while we're all in Paris. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security.ubuntu.com or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network or you can email us all at the Ubuntu Harden mailing list. And finally, we've got the security section now on discourse.ubuntu.com that I just talked about. And lastly, if Twitter's more your thing, you can find us at Ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, can't wait to do it all again uh, for you again next week. But until then, remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. And I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.